0: Welcome to this latest GCP short in collaboration with Zurich and all about cyber insurance and the role for captives we have a really good mix of perspectives for the next 20 minutes. From Zurich, we have guests Oliver Delvos, Global Cyber Underwriting Manager, and familiar face Dr. Paul Verman, Head of Captive Services. And providing some client perspective for us, we also have Francois Carly, who was Vice President of Insurance at Global Life Science Company, Sanofi, from 2006 to 2017, and is now an independent consultant. And we also have joining us, Holger Kraus. Holger is currently head of risk finance and employee insurances at Siemens, but importantly is speaking in this short in his capacity as head of the captive committee of the German Risk and Insurance Managers Association, GVNW. Paul, Francois and Holger will all provide some really great detail on how captives can become involved in cyber programs, the advantages and some of the challenges. But first, Oliver provides an overview of the commercial cyber market today.
1: Well, in in terms of like the cyber insurance market, I think we have seen in 2020 what we've seen in the previous years before Steady growth, demand in all countries. And when I mean with all countries, really all countries from Europe, but also in LATAM and Asia, really from Colombia to Sweden, Canada to New Zealand, and also like in all segments. What we're also seeing is markets are maturing. So I think what we're seeing, we're seeing really rates increasing at the same time, um, carriers Reducing capacity, we would say to probably like a more sustainable level, especially like in Europe and EMEA, we've seen a lot of attention to, you know, to gain market share where we weren't really sure basically how sustainable that is. So, so basically that is coming to more sustainable levels um, as we see right now. But it also means that some carriers that were in there are disappearing. So basically capacity is becoming more like an issue for our insurance. At the same time, what also mean with maturing, we're seeing that really cyber seen as a own risk class. So um, I think for over the, some years, it was still like the kind of discussion or the question, should it be like another lines of business? But I think also like the COVID work from home, digitalization situation overall has seen, okay, we really, digitalization is something and then in cyber risk where we really have like key dependency for business processes. So really people paying more attention to that and see that as an own line of business. And that's also what we are doing at Zurich, having that as an own line of business since the beginning of the year next to financial lines at the same time i would say we still see a lot of demand for support um, but also like in risk evaluation um, post breach support um, especially when you have like an incident how do we coordinate this and all these kind of things and yeah and the, the losses are still there from ransomware extortion ddos is making a comeback which has surprised us but we also see on the third-party liabilities, so the data privacy, more and more stringent regulation. So that also means that we are now seeing really cyber more firmly on the board level, um, also like being a topic for the DNOs, but also like for shareholders who are concerned about reputation and business interruption. So I would say overall, a real maturing of the market, but also like a steady growth.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Oliver. Really useful to have that oversight uh, at the beginning. Paul, in terms of uh, captives and cyber, what role can a captive play in a a cyber reinsurance program?
2: Cyber coverage is still relatively new and uh, some uh, insurance or reinsurance carriers might have insufficient capacity to account for their corporate customers. European business cases demonstrate That for large and uh, centralized industrial organizations, a reinsurance captive involvement may provide several benefits. I have experienced that cyber is characterized by a low frequency, but rather high severity risk where there only happens rarely a claim. But this can be, of course, expensive. Based on our analysis of incoming captive fronting requests across Europe for 2018 and 2019, we have started to observe carefully the buying behavior of European captive owners and their view of cyber risk financing and risk transfer. We have analyzed the industry sectors and have experienced that, interestingly, no, individual sector dominates another sector. We have observed that most fronting requests directed to net sessions so that captives in these cases might request stop loss agreements. Most captive retentions are within the range of five to 25 million US dollars. This reflects 40% of all captive owners submissions which we have received For 2018 and 2019. Reinsurance captive structures can be set up as proportional or non-proportional reinsurances. We have experienced that the majority of captive reinsurance sessions are set up as non-proportional and 72% of the cyber submissions which we received are standalone requests for line of business cyber. We have seen a market shift away from embedded cyber coverages, very often called silent coverages, towards standalone products. I would like to summarize our observations uh, as follows. Captive involvements can help to increase the likelihood of managing cyber exposure successfully. However, the involvement of captives also causes challenges, of course. I would like to mention this regard, that it is important that captive owners select insurers as captive fronters, which have the relevant expertise and experience to service reinsurance captives. In particular, insurers as fronters for captive cyber programs have to provide across the international insurance network a proper pricing, a professional policy and claims management, and comprehensive insurance warnings. We have experienced that our European captive customers have increased their captive involvement. Captive customers most probably explore from a strategic angle. Firstly, what is the maximum amount which a captive owner still feels comfortable to bear? And secondly, what is the amount of coverage that the company is looking for and which part of that cannot be found on the market and needs to be seeded into the captive. They might either go with a very large retention, for instance, 25 million US dollar, or a very small one, for instance, 1 million US dollar. My feeling is that only a very few captive customers choose a retention in between.
0: Francois, uh, Paul referenced there uh, some of the potential benefits and, and, and some of the potential challenges. From your view, as, as someone who's been involved with, uh, with sophisticated captives for, for some time, what are some of the benefits of, of writing cyber for a captive?
3: Yes, um, I think that um, after making uh, a large and long thought about that, I would say I have identified five benefits, potential benefits in putting cyber into the captive. The first one is linked to the fact that cyber is a very recent line of business, and as Uh, my friends, before just mention, there is lack of data and there is a lack of real understanding of the risks. I'm not blaming it on the risk manager or on the insurers, but I'm blaming it on the complexity of all our industries and all the commercial business that is done, and therefore it takes time. So each customer is different. And the good part about the captive is that you don't care about the customers. You just care about your own company and you can allow more leeway or more more silent coverage in the wording, supposing the insurance plays the game and depending, of course, on the retention. But you can have a broader coverage with more silent information, which helps you creating a coverage that is really specific to your company. The second benefit that I see is the fact that um, for me, cyber is a multiple line of business impact kind of business. You have issues relative to property damage, to liability. As uh, Oliver said, it can impact the DNO. It can also impact data privacy issues. It's a very broad kind of risk. And therefore, if you have a captive system, you can use your captive as a sort of mushroom that is covering all the existing coverage that you have in your direct lines or in other captive lines, and you put that as a mushroom so it just covers all the existing ones and above. So this is also very helpful for some risk managers. The third point is, of course, you can have a multi-year coverage. So as Paul said a second ago, it's a low frequency, high intensity kind of risk. So when you buy the coverage for one year, you may have a lot of premium that has not been, in fact, I would say, used as a the financing of uh, your risks because uh, the insurers will not give you any credit for having paid the claim and having having paid the premium and having no claim. While if it's in the captive, you can have a multiple year coverage. And in fact, you can learn the book. The way you do that is you increase your knowledge every year, but the premium stays in the captive for a risk that may emerge the next year. So this is also extremely interesting Pricing monitoring and claims monitoring would be my fourth benefit. Yes, it is true. It is very important to understand that in terms of pricing and in terms of claims management, they can, you can face a lot of volatility and the risk manager having the cyber risk in his captive can lower down seriously the volatility of the management of that. Finally, and I think this is known to everybody, it's another line of business in your captive. So, of course, it will have an impact on the diversification criteria for the solvency to capital requirements, which is always good. But in the end, for me, the real benefit of putting cyber in your captive is to give yourself a chance to have a coverage that is really specific to your business, to your company. To your needs, and of course, to your captive.
0: Fantastic, Francois! I think you could you could be a salesperson in another life. You've uh, sold me on the on the benefits of of putting cyber into the captive. Holger, you've got the more depressing job, shall we say, of, of telling us all about the challenges. Of putting cyber into the captive and and are there hurdles uh, for the risk manager when they're trying to intervene on on cyber risks
4: yeah thank you richard i would not be too pessimistic about it to be honest Uh, talking a bit about the challenges i think actually they are twofold one is really to identify and convince all the relevant stakeholders in the company to go down that route and the second one would be obviously to make sure that all the regulatory requirements are met that you have enough capital that you have a a decent understanding of the risk. Uh, And maybe let me expand a bit on the first part. Um, uh, The stakeholder topic really depends a lot on the kind of the participation. I mean, as as Paul already pointed out uh, before, um, obviously, if you are uh, participating in in a working layer or in 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 a deductible area, it's a, it's a larger number of, um, stakeholders. You need to convince probably the business managers. You need to convince cybersecurity people uh, that it's a good idea to actually, um, ensure that, um, layer and put that through the captive. If you participate in excess layer or on a quota share basis, it's, it's basically just the CFO usually or the supervisory board of the captive that needs to be convinced. But it definitely, Um, is usually doable um, because um, as as Francois already said, there's a lot of benefits actually doing that and and providing the right arguments like creating the transparency, providing for seamless claims handling from from the deductible to the higher layers um, and also creating confidence for the insurer um, to make this risk better insurable going forward. I think all, all those arguments actually help to get there with regard to the capital and the regulatory requirements i mean this depends a little bit also on the on the domicile of the captive but obviously it's it needs to be ensured that it's analyzed what the effect of our captive participation in cyber is on the overall capital and on the on the business plan of the captive um, with regard to the hurdles to the risk manager intervening on cyber risk you, you put it very nicely and i think um, what I heard also from my uh, from my peer group, there sometimes is a little bit of rivalry at the beginning um, of of these exercises between um, the insurance risk managers and the cyber risk managers. But usually, in the course of the discussion, it becomes very clear that both aspects are perfectly complementing each other. So um, the cyber people really. Um, are looking for um, or looking after the organizational topics, after the technical topics to manage cyber risk. And um, cyber insurance actually provides a perfect financial parachute if something goes wrong in the end. So, And if, if that understanding is created, I would not call it intervention anymore. It's, it's really then a, a common or a joint process um, to manage the cyber risk of a company in the most professional way.
0: Thank you, Holger. That's a really nice way to outline uh, some of those some of those challenges and how they can also be overcome. Oliver, what are the unique opportunities regarding uh, a captive for cyber risks when we compare it to other more traditional lines?
1: Holger already touched touched on some of these um, these points previously. I think it provides a unique opportunity to really have like a fully integrated risk management process to really bring On the one hand side, like the IT security folks together, but also legal and compliance. And then together, basically with with the finance um, arm of the organization, providing like the funding allocation for various improvements that you might want to do or something like this. Let's not forget here, I think with cyber, especially in in the insurance space, basically how the products are designed and we'll be dealing with two type of coverages. The one coverage is really the first party element, so everything that is touching on IT security, data breaches, and so on and so forth, and then also what I just said, like the second part, like a data breacher, then also has like a regulatory, legal, compliance aspect to it. So, so you basically with with cyber, you are or like with a cyber insurance product, you're managing two types of risks. So, I think that is really it provides a great opportunity to have also then a coordinated approach between it incident management so for example you have a ransomware attack you basically have a ddos against one of your subsidiaries or something like this and then also to see okay how do we then manage with the claim basically with the insurance aspect and the funding of this and also obviously for for large organizations that have a um, global footprint you can bring that all together into an an international program so it's like a fully integrated also like view Overview of your digital ecosystem as a company, and I think that it can be quite exciting in the future. When once you go more digital, once you basically digitalize more of your subsidiaries, of your of your workflows, also of your intercompany workflows, to to also to see okay where there like funding needs, how do like CISO, CFO, legal, and risk management work together. And then on top of that, you basically can work with risk engineering. What we just heard earlier on, you know, I think like a lot of companies are still needing support in their risk evaluation. That you can put risk engineering on top. That you have a continuous IT security improvement process via various platforms via APIs. You can also pull data basically from your insurer or captive fronter. And basically put that into your own SOC or SOC, Security Operating Center. And then obviously with other technological means, you know, you can provide outside in risk assessments that are really more technology based. So I think there's a very, very exciting kind of platform or basis there to bring a lot of things that I think risk managers have to deal with together under this kind of captive umbrella to manage, finance, these risks, um, deal with the claims, but also to provide um, capital and funding allocation.
0: F- finishing up now with a couple of last questions. Um, Francois, why do you think the time is, is right, if so, right now, to be putting cyber in into a captive?
3: Really, there has been no better timing than today to get cyber into your captive. And in this, I can really plug in two main reasons. The first one is the current economic situation with the COVID-19, with multiple businesses that will have very low or no growth, because everybody in the world is now looking for cost reduction. And in fact, Although the captive is not going to create a cost reduction, it's just going to create a different cost allocation, which is always better for the company than putting the premium outside of the company to an insurer or 100% of the premium to an insurer. So this would be the first reason. And it's a reason that works for a lot of lines of business and it should work for cyber as well. But for me, the reality of your question is the threat of the non-possible event has changed. And I think that if all of you just ask yourself the question, do you really think six months ago, you would have said that the world can stop working, that people stay home everywhere in different countries for the same reason, nearly at the same time? No. So the boundaries of the possible have moved really seriously away from you. And for me, this is a clear open new world or new space for cyber issues, which means also for cyber coverage.
0: Great. Oliver, we hear a lot in in captive lines of how the captive can play a, a more proactive role in in kind of financing risk mitigation activities. Uh, in this case, I guess we're talking about cyber risk engineering, both pre-breach and, and post-breach. Can we see uh, the captive doing that uh, on, on the cyber lines, Oliver?
1: yeah absolutely I think what we've seen so far is with our engineers I mean they they would work together basically um with the CISO or like the um, security organization of the insurer to really see okay where do we have weak spots where do we need risk improvement and I mean what, what I always like about very much about like the risk engineering organization or the services is basically I mean like, we all have like the same interest right I mean like we really want to make the organization more secure more resilient I mean that helps us obviously as the insurer it helps the captive to um, maintain the capital and then basically run on a profitable basis so we really don't want to sell you like another, you know, um, IT security. Um, gadget or something like this. So, I mean, it also give, it also works a bit of like an independent, let's say, arbiter between, you know, like these, all these various interests groups and stakeholders within an organization saying, okay, here we, we have like an issue. We need to do something. We need to improve something. Also on the post breach side, um, basically with our claims colleagues to say, look, here has been something. There have been leaks. There have been vulnerabilities. There have been like a patching issue. There has been like a issue of basically Dealing with an incident, I think that is very important as well. How does like the own internal incident response team of the insured of like the captive parent company orchestrates um, after an incident? So, so I think there are, like a lot of opportunities to review and also do like kind of a case study after an incident how something can be improved. So we definitely see that here on the cyber side being a very fruitful like say co- corporation whereas like the risk engineers dealing with with all these different um, stakeholders.
3: We have to look at uh, risk engineering in a very uh, pragmatic way. For me, risk engineering is investment versus cost which means you're investing in the knowledge in in the understanding of the risk, in the understanding of how you can mitigate the risk. And this should allow you somehow somewhere down the road to pay less premium and have less claims. And I think that cyber is a fantastic area for this kind of uh, risk engineering progress and promotion. I haven't seen so much risk engineers specialized in cyber today, but I am sure it's the future. If you look at how the The property area has moved in the last 20 years with risk engineering. The quality of the risk managed by risk manager every day has increased in a tremendous way, while in liability, it is not really the case. So it seems to me extremely important that people understand it's worth investing in risk engineering in cyber. Everybody learns, the insurer, but also the captive, but also the company, the industry. And this will certainly help mitigate the risk in the future.
0: Well, thank you to Oliver, Paul, Francois and Holger for sharing their experiences and insights. If you want to find more information on our guests and Zurich's captive expertise, then do check the episode description and the globalcaptivepodcast.com website. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.